but playing in Portland. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Boys and Girls Club parking lot? Yeah, it's pretty big. <laughs> Coons making all sorts of trouble. <laughs> Any vowels. <laughs> all right. Matthew twelve, thirty nine through forty two. Thirty eight through forty two. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. Okay, I want to start off on kind of a little bit of a heavy note uh, with the first slide here. Um, uh, So these guys are from ISIS. Um, I read an article recently about, you know, all the turmoil and and war and all the horrible stuff going on uh, in Syria and Iraq. And then uh, and you've got um, these fighters and, and in the comment section, the, you know, the eternal font of wisdom and virtue that is the comment section of the Internet. One guy said something that I thought was really interesting that I want to talk about. And what he said was this. He said, the problem with Islam, in his opinion, this is not me, this is him talking. The problem with, uh, with Islam is that they haven't had their reformation. They haven't had a reformation like uh, Christianity has had. What did he mean by that? Well, um, some of us, I'm sure, know what the reformation is. Some of us, I'm sure, might not know uh, what exactly we mean when we talk about the reformation. So the next slide is uh, your buddy and mine, uh, Martin Luther. Um, Martin Luther, 1517. Um, Martin Luther uh, nails 95 theses to the door of the church. And these are like 95 um, complaints or issues he has with the Catholic Church in this day. And and, and in this day, he's he's German. In this day in Europe, you basically had the Catholic Church, right? It was, you had the Pope, everyone's under the Pope. And Martin Luther says, look, here, here are some issues that I have. Um, things like um, indulgences, if you've ever heard of this. The indulgence was like a sale of, well in, in Martin Luther, I mean, it gets complicated. Short version is Martin Luther saw it as the sale for like a forgiveness of sins. Like you can, if you buy this thing, you are forgiven, which obviously would be a huge problem. Um, things like uh, uh, preaching in vernacular, like a vernacular Bible. He wanted the Bible in German so people could understand it, not in Latin. Um, and 93 other uh, issues he had. Uh, eventually, he gets uh, excommunicated, and we have the Protestant Reformation. This is the Reformation. Um, uh, John Calvin's a part of this. Uh, other, uh, you know, big hitters in Christian history. So, um, what does it mean? What did this guy mean then when he said that Islam hadn't had its Reformation? Um, what I think he means, and, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting into his head. I can't read his mind, but. I think there are some assumptions he's making that um, I see in general in the general population that I really want to speak to. And uh, what are those assumptions? That basically, 
The problem with Islam, this guy is saying, again, not me, this guy. Basically, the problem with Islam is that they're living, like, in an Old Testament world. Like, they don't have a New Testament. They don't have a Reformation. That's, that's their problem. Um, so basically, like, if Luther, if Martin Luther brought us out of, like, medieval religion into, like, modern religion, like, they, they, they need that. Like, they're still kind of in medieval times, this commenter, I think, is saying. Um, and so what's the idea here? So Martin Luther gets us out of medieval into modern. Jesus kind of gets us out of Old Testament into New Testament. There's this idea of, like, evolution, right? Um, that uh, religion has evolved from, like, the Stone Age. And every year, you know, you first you get Jesus. He's, he's a little nicer, a little softer, a little kinder than Old Testament God. Then you have maybe the Reformation where uh, religion gets a little kinder, a little nicer, a little softer. Every year, God gets um, a little, little nicer and not... Not so mean-spirited. Um, in the 1800s in America, there were um, uh, theologians who really, really sort of believed uh, believed in the sort of a progressive progressive understanding. Um, we we started off one way, but as time goes on, we get sort of a closer and closer understanding of who God is. We move away from this Old Testament God of like wrath and and thunderbolts and fire and all that stuff. Um, so, uh, what we see is. What what they see is a religion that gets nicer over time, and like where where's the last stop on this train? Like, if if we're on this train, like where do we go? Where do we end up? And we end up with something like our next slide. We end up with Buddy Jesus, right? We've seen this guy's from the movie Dogma. Really interesting, um, kind of vulgar, uh, but it's a it's a movie where the Catholic Church sees itself as having an image problem, and so they want like Jesus. He's your buddy. Like he's your pal. Everything's cool. No problems. Uh, that's that's the Jesus that this world needs, and so, really, the question um, uh, we can uh, you can go ahead to the next slide. So the question uh, at the heart of what I want to talk to this morning, um, uh, Matt, of course, has been doing uh, a series on um, who is Jesus really. Uh, he's been taking us through the Book of Mark. I kind of cheating. I did Matthew today, uh, but I want to keep. I want to keep going with, with who is Jesus really? Who do who does culture say he is? What, and what does the Bible say he is? Um, and so the question becomes, isn't the Old Testament God the God of wrath? Isn't the New Testament God the God of mercy? Doesn't God sort of get kinder as the Bible goes on? Um, and, you know, ultimately at the, at the end of the day, uh, wherever you land on this is up to you. But I do think that I can prove pretty definitively this morning, and I will try to do this, uh, that that is not at all the message of the Bible. I don't think, you know, um, the idea that um, uh, God sort of gets kinder and nicer and fluffier as uh, time goes on, I think that um, the Bible just doesn't support this old angry God and a new kind God. Um, That's not the story of history. In fact, if God is perfect, if God knows everything, if he's ultimately good, if he's ultimately wise, ultimately powerful, like how can he change? Like what what direction is there from perfect, right? You can't get more perfect uh, if you're already perfect. Um, okay. Uh, we're going we're gonna to look at this, uh, at this question of Old Testament wrath versus New Testament mercy. We're going to look at this through the sign of Jonah, as Jesus said. Um, uh, Jesus compares himself to Jonah in the passage that we heard this morning. Um, so we're going to look at we're going to look at three things to sort of um, dispel what I see as a r- kind of a common myth or assumption 
um, among a lot of people, Christians and non-Christians. Um, we're, and we're going to see three things. We're going to see an Old Testament God of mercy. We're going to see a New Testament God of wrath. And then we're going to ask, who needs, who does need a God of wrath anyway? We kind of, that's kind of uncomfortable, right? Like we don't want a God of wrath, or do we? Okay. We're going to do this through the story of Jonah. So in our text, uh, uh, Jesus says, um, I'm not going to give you a sign except for the sign of Jonah. Interestingly, just like five, six verses in front of what we read, Jesus performed another miracle. He's always, he's always healing uh, the sick. He's always um, healing the blind, this sort of thing. And he, he does this just verses before the Pharisees come to him and ask for a sign. And it's kind of like, like, really? Like, you, really? You're still asking for a sign? This is, this is the sort of spirit of Jesus' response when he says no. He doesn't say it, but what le- is left unsaid is, look, if, that's, if that doesn't work for you, what's, what will? Um, and he says the sign of Jonah. What does he mean by that? Um, so if you grew up in Sunday school, you've heard the story of Jonah. Um, it's nice. It's you, you get your nice, like, salt cord. You get the whale. You get the stories, like, obey. Like, that's a good message for children. And that's in there. Um, if you didn't uh, grow up in Sunday school, what is the story of Jonah? Well, let me try to walk through this, uh, the condensed version here. Okay, so you got this guy. His name is Jonah. Uh, he's, an, he's one of the Old Testament prophets, right? The book is actually only four chapters long. It's one of my favorite Old Testament books. It's, it's, it's one of those stories that's like really simple on the surface, but if you really dig deep, it gets as like complex as you want, and that's like my favorite kind of story. Um, so, uh, so Jonah, uh, God says to Jonah, look, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and prophesy against them. Uh, Nineveh is, uh, is basically sinning in my eyes, God says, and I want you to go tell them that what they're doing is wrong. And Jonah says, go to Nineveh, preach against them, got it. And he immediately walks in the opposite direction and gets on a boat to the other side of the world. We've got a We've got a map here. Um, so he actually starts off um, just sort of north. Ooh, that's a blue. He starts off like here, walks to Joppa, and then he's trying to sail to basically Spain. Like if he, if he could have found a boat to Antarctica, that's the one he would have taken. Like, he, like this is the end, this is the end of, literally the end of the known world um, at the time. Um, so why, wha- what's, what is Nineveh? Nineveh is the capital of an empire called Assyria. This is before Greece. This is before Rome. Um, Assyria was kind of like the it empire of its time. And Nineveh was the it capital of its day. I mean, honestly, the closest city I, you could maybe compare it to would be something like New York. It's, it's huge. It's uh, ethnically diverse because um, the Assyrians, they would capture people and bring them home as slaves. So you get people from all over. Um, and you can imagine, you can just sort of imagine, like, ancient New York. <laughs> it's not, not super pretty. You can imagine the kind of, the ways they treated their slaves, the ways they treated their women. I mean, it's, the, the Bible isn't expli- explicit about this, but it's not too hard to imagine. So, so Jonah, Jonah says, no, I'm not going to Nineveh. He gets in a boat, goes to the opposite end of the world, and a storm comes. Okay. And Jesus is asleep on the boat when the storm comes. 
Can you think of any other biblical figures that are asleep in a boat when the storm comes? Um, interesting little parallel. Uh, Jesus, of course, does that at one point. Um, and all the, all the people in the boat are freaking out. They're like losing their minds because this storm is that bad. They're going to die. Um, and they wake Jonah up and they said, look, we're all pr- praying to our gods. You need to get up, like pray to whatever God you have. Like, we, like we're, we're going to die. Help. Um, and eventually they draw straws to see like who, who is the offending part. Like who has ticked off the gods to this extent that like we're about to all be killed. And Jonah draws the short straw and they said, okay, what's up? What have you done, Jonah? And he, and he says, okay, look, I'm running away from God. He's angry at me. I serve Yahweh, I serve the God of the Bible. There is one God, and that's mine, um, and it's my fault. Further, he says, look, if you want the storm to end, you have to throw me overboard. That's the only solution. And they say, we don't want to do that. Like, if this is your God, he's already this upset with us. Like, we don't, like, no. Uh, But he says, um, you have to, and they do. Parallel number two, can you think of a, Biblical figure who has to die so that others can live? Okay. Uh, so again, he's sort of, in an interesting way, uh, a prefiguring of Jesus. Um, now, everything I, just, everything I just explained to you, that's chapter one. Uh, Jonah has four chapters. The second chapter is one of the most, I think, beautiful passages of thanksgiving and prayer in the whole Bible. It could come straight out of Psalms. Uh, the first verse goes like this. In my distress... I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Okay, now remember, he had just been thrown out, and he had just been swallowed inside of the whale. This is is his prayer from the belly of the whale. Let me read that again. He's in the belly of the whale, and he says, listen to the grammar. Grammar teacher, listen to the grammar here. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Do you hear the past tense? Isn't that fascinating? That's not like that's not like a scribal error. That's in the past tense. Jonah knew that God had a job for him. Jonah knew he was going to Nineveh. And so he could pray in the past tense. If, if God calls you, it's done. Like it's he can't die here because he's got to go to Nineveh. He knows uh that there's no way he doesn't get to Nineveh eventually. Um, again, compare Jesus in the boat. Uh, if you've heard the story, Jesus wake, uh, the disciples wake up Jesus in the boat because he, the storm has come, and they say, do something, we're going to die. And Jesus, he gets up, wakes up, calms the storm, come on down, chill out. And then what does he say? Does he, does he say, thanks for waking me up, man. We were, we were going to die. No, he turns to his disciples and says, He's angry with them. He says, didn't I say we were going to go to the other side of the lake? We're going to go to the other side of the lake. If I say it, then it's going to happen. That's the kind of uh, faith that Jesus expects. It's the kind of faith that Jonah has. For his, for, like Jonah's such an interesting character, for his huge flaw of disobedience, he still is, has like mind-boggling faith that he can pray in the past tense, I already know it's a done deal. You have saved me. Even, can you imagine how horrifying it would be to be in this, like, warm, wet, dark cavern of, like, inside of a whale or something? Um, and then Jonah, uh, too, ends with one of my absolute uh, favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says, it says some other things, but it says this, Jonah 2.9. 
Salvation comes from the Lord. So simple, so wonderful. Salvation comes from the Lord. Like, <laughs> again, you want to talk about continuity through Old Testament and New Testament, bada-bing. I mean, that's, that's the story of the Bible, right? Salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation doesn't come from us. It comes from God. That's where salvation comes from. Bada-bing. So, uh, chapter 3. Uh, sure enough, the whale does spit Jonah out onto dry land. God again says, okay, go to Nineveh. And this time, J- Jonah says, oh, okay. So he goes. He goes, uh, he makes it to Nineveh. He marches into the city. And he says, in 40 days, you're all going to die. In 40 days, God's going to ha- God's have his way with you. And this, so like, so like, this, like we're done with the Sunday school version. The Sunday school version is... Um, you know, obey and repent. And that's there. That's in, that's in the story. That's, that's for sure accurate. And here's the weird part. Here's like the M. Night Shyamalan ending. Like, th- it's kind of a one-two punch, okay? First of all, uh, so he obeys, okay, to be expected. Um, he's, he's a good figure, ultimately, Jonah is. Um, he preaches against the city. Okay, we've, we've seen this, right? Like, there's guys on campus at IU who, like, ugh, it's uncomfortable, right? Like, who tell, like, you know, you do this, you do that, it's wrong, it's bad, you're going to hell, this sort of thing. Um, I've seen it in San Francisco. I think I've seen it in New York. Like, it's not hard to imagine someone, like, prophesying uh, against a town. Like, I've, I've seen this in my own life. But like, that's easy to imagine. What's almost impossible to imagine is that it works. Like, the Ninevites are like, oh, my gosh, he's right. We're all going to hell. Like, we need to, we need to pray. And they do. They repent. That's the, that's the first one two part of the one-two punch of the surprise ending. The second part is Jonah's reaction. Okay, so if you're, if you're in the Old Testament and you get called to um, prophesy against someone, like your life expectancy just fell by like 30 years. Like, you, like Old Testament prophets don't have it so good. Uh, they tend to get killed, um, stoned, and all this stuff. And like, like you and me, like I can write a blog post like, I think Obama is the worst answer. Like, no problem. But, like, back in ancient times, like, if you, like, you got killed for, like, way less than the things he's saying against uh, the Assyrian government. Um, so what he's doing is super dangerous. And if you're me, you're reading the story and you're thinking, oh, well, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he's going to get killed just like all the rest of them. And that's not it at all. That's not it at all. Um, what he says to God is, is this, God I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I knew that if I preached, I knew you were going to have mercy on them. I knew it. I knew this was what was going to happen. Like, what? Like, he did not want mercy for the Ninevites. He wanted God to drop the hammer. He said, God, you and I know that these guys are clowns. They're jokers. Look at how they, look how they treat each other. Like, this is, this is awful. We can't have this. This is insane. Um, but I knew you would have mercy on them, so I didn't want to come. Um, so Jonah, like, where is this coming from? Like, Jonah's got, like, this, like, justice streak. And you kind of have to wonder if it's, like, an in-group, out-group thing. Like, Jonah, Jonah's one of the call. He's, he's Hebrew. He's one of the chosen nation. Uh, uh, he's of the chosen nation. Uh, and, and he's going out to, like, this, the, the other guy. Like, who cares about Assyrians? Like, who, who like, they're, that's the out-group. Like, we want justice for them. We want peace. For us, we want justice for them. By the way, um, isn't it interesting? Justice, like greed, it's always it's always about the other guy. 
Um, so, uh, and what's God's response when Jonah says, I knew you were going to have mercy and like make me angry. Um, he's, this is the last verse of, uh, of Jonah, and I love it to death. God says to Jonah, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Side note. This is like the one, I, I can't, I'm sure that they might be there, I don't know. Um, this is like the one place in the Bible where God explicitly says, like, I love animals. <laughs> Make me cry. <laughs> My dog threw something. Um, but I think it's kind of beautiful, right? Um, like, how can I, these guys, Jonah, they are idiots. They don't know. Like, how can I not have faith? Like, how can I not, how can I not care? How can I not have mercy? So, when Jonah gets taught in, uh, in Sunday school, it's a story of obedience, and it is. It's also a story of mercy. It's ultimately the big picture, the bigger picture here, is not really Jonah's story. It's Nineveh's story. There's 120,000 people in Nineveh, and God wants to have mercy on them, and he does. So there's your Old Testament. There's your wrathful Old Testament God. He wants to be mercy. I mean, he's looking for any reason uh, to show mercy, to not destroy um, the, the the people that he loves, even if they are the others, they're the they're they're not the right race, they're not the right religion, they're 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 the other guys, and God loves them. God loves them still. So, back to Jesus. Of all the of all the Old Testament prophets, um, God picks Jonah. Why? Um, Could have gone with Elijah. In fact, a lot of people thought that Jesus, uh, some people thought John the Baptist was, was literally the second coming of Elijah, um, the great prophet. But God picks like semi-racist uh, Jonah. Um, uh, and why does he do this? Um, well, for all of his faults, like we saw, Jonah literally trusted God to death. When he was in the belly of the whale, you guys ever been in the belly of the whale? Um, I have. Uh, it was, uh, let's see, what, what year is it, 16? So eight years ago, this time of year. Um, I remember uh, being on my bed, looking out the window at all the snow, um, sick with treatment uh, from cancer, and thinking, which way does this go? If it goes wrong, do I really, is that a real, is that a real choice? Like, is this, is this, is this how it happens? And I decided, yeah, I do believe um, I do believe that. Um, maybe you've had an experience like that. Maybe someone you know uh, has had an experience like that. Maybe not. But uh, the faith, uh, the faith of Jonah is going to be the same as the faith of Jesus on the cross. Um, they trusted God to, de- uh, to death and through death. They knew that even though it seemed like God was turning away from them, even though it seemed like um, God was on the other side of the universe, they knew they knew that they were on his mind. They knew uh, what Isaiah said in chapter uh, 49, verse 15. It says this. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she, may, might, yeah, though she might forget, I won't forget you. Isn't that incredible? That's like the, that's the most tender um, 
It's, it's just the absolutely tenderest expression of parenthood, I think, that Isaiah could, or anyone, could come up with. Uh, a mother nursing a baby. A baby. I care more for you than that. You, Jonah, you, Jesus, you, you. Um, uh, each one of us, God never forgets us. From cancer to finals, everything in between. Every big problem, every small problem, God is, we are absolutely in God's mind. Okay, um, so we saw our Old Testament God of mercy. Uh, so where's our New Testament God of wrath? Well, he's right here, um, right on the uh, cross. I could reference, like, there's this uh, passage of Ananias and Sapphira in, in the book of Acts where they basically lie about how much money that they had given to the church. They were, try- they were like, exaggerating the amount of money they gave. God strikes them down. That's one story. But the ultimate story, of course, has to be uh, Jesus on the cross. Um, so have you ever wondered this? If God is supposed to be this forgiving, loving God, and he is, God is supposed to be so forgiving, so loving, why did actually, like, why did, did Jesus have to die? Like, isn't that a big story? Maybe. Um, why does Jesus have to die? Can't, can't God just sort of say, like, you know what? I hear you. I believe that you've repented, and it's okay. Can't he say that? Well, apparently not. Why not? Well, let me ask you this. Have, have you ever, has anyone ever apologized to you, and you said, hey, it's all right. Don't worry about it. It's fine. And, like, 100% not meant it. Um, I mean, forgiveness, yes. Forgiveness is good. But that's saying saying it's okay. That's not the same thing as saying I forgive you. Saying it's okay is saying, eh, whatever. Like if somebody steps on your toe, like, eh, whatever. Like, don't worry about it. It's not a thing. Someone kills someone in your family. Someone abducts uh, uh, one of your family members. And this happens in the world very much in other places in the world. If someone does one of these horrible things to you, it's okay. No, it's not okay. That's 100% not okay. Like, how is that? O- in what universe is that okay? And it's not. Do you think when God looks down and he sees the way we treat poor people, when he sees the kind of war and genocide of the 20th century and the 21st century now, do you think he looks at that and says, you know what, guys, it's okay? No. So what's the point of God's wrath? God's, God's wrath, God gets angry uh, because there is a standard. God gets angry because you matter to him, because every one of us matters to him. Um, this is like someone watching you slap their child. Like the, the, the appropriate response isn't like, whoa, peace, like chill, breathe. The appropriate response when you see someone doing wrong to your kid is to get angry. That's, that's an okay time to get angry. God says he's slow to anger. But the anger is there. So, uh, the argument I want to make now is this. It might seem a little weird. That's what I'm going to say. Um, first off, different cultures respond to different parts of the gospel. Just about every culture is going to respond to some part of the gospel. So, like, I do medieval English. I think about this all the time. Like, in Old England, if you would go to Old England and, and say something like, look, hell is real, heaven is real, and Jesus will get you there. 
they'd be like, well, of course hell is real. Like, duh. Like, we all know that hell is real. But, like, getting into heaven, like, like in, in, in Roman times, like, it was just assumed. Like, of course, we're, I mean, we all know we're going to Hades. Like, duh. Like, we all know that. Like, there's stu- like the rock stars, like Julius Caesar. Like, okay, he gets into heaven. But, like, you and me, like, no way. So, um, of course, of course, we have done wrong. And we deserve to be punished. I mean, that's just, like, in the culture. Like, these days, like, people either believe they're going to heaven or believe that there is no such thing as hell. Like, maybe one in a thousand people think that hell is real and that's where they're actually going to go. So, like, our, our culture is, like, totally reversed from, like, traditional cultures on, on uh, ultimate, the word is eschatological, uh, on, on the ultimate fate of humanity, on the heaven and hell thing. Our we're completely reversed from what it used to be. Um, and the Bible, of course, doesn't ag- agree sort of with both. So, um, where was I going with that? Our, our present culture, like old cultures, yeah, like they wanted a wrathful God. They wanted a God that had their back when the Vikings came and pillaged and raped and killed. They, they needed a wrathful God to take care of that, to take care of these guys that are coming in and destroying everything like they needed one in a culture where there's not a lot of pillaging uh, not a lot of war that we experience on a day in day out basis we kind of forget that when we just we just like want the nice mercy god right um well we need both and and here so here's that argument i uh, mentioned that might sound a little weird um i'm not going to argue that you need a wrathful god I'm going to argue that you want a wrathful God. How could I say such a thing? This part's going to be rough. Uh, I'll give you two reasons um, why I think you want a wrathful God. Uh, So the next slide. That's Martin Luther King. This is him right after he was shot. Why did he get shot? Because he was preaching equality in the 1960s. How does that make you feel? How do you think God feels? In the next slide. That's Trayvon Martin. Uh, I don't know his story. I wasn't there. I didn't see what happened. But we know this. We know that he was walking home. We know that at one point he seemed to have been running from the guy who killed him, uh, according to the evidence. We know that he was unarmed. And we know that he got killed. How does that make you feel? How do you think that makes God feel? It makes me really, really, really upset. And I don't know this guy. God knows him. How do you think that makes him feel? Go ahead to the next slide. Um, you know, uh, young people today, and, and and technically, technically, I'm a millennial myself. Um, but uh, like the people, folks who are in college right now, really do seem to have a stronger justice streak uh, than uh, my peers did uh, when we were going through college. Uh, I think in 20 years, I don't. I don't think in 20 years pastors will have to convince anyone 
about uh, the need for justice, the passion for justice that Jonah had, that Jesus had, that God has. I don't think we're going to have to convince people that that, that is a good thing. Um, but here's the problem. As I said before, justice is always about the other guy, right? Do we really, do we really want justice? Do all of us really want justice? Or do we want just like the power to punish the guys who we don't like? Do we want justice or do we just want the power to, c- to punish the guys we don't like? Let's look, back at, let's look back at ISIS. What do you think they want? In their minds, I think that they, yes, we are serving God, they say. We are the good ones. We want to punish those who don't serve God in their minds. They sound a lot like you and me. Um, we're the good ones because both of us. So what do we need? We need a divine referee. We need somebody who has the bird's eye view, who really does know, who really was there, who really did see all these things happen, who is strong enough and good enough uh, to deliver justice. We need someone who cares. But here's the problem. Who of us can withstand such a God? We need this. In my heart of hearts, I really, really want justice for everyone. I really, really want justice for Martin Luther King. I really, really want justice for Trayvon Martin. I do. But who can withstand, who can stand up to a God like that, though? Um, Matthew 12, <coughs> excuse me, Matthew twelve thirty seven was in the reading for today, and it says this, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Uh, one pastor I like put it this way. He said, did you know that when you were born, God hung an invisible tape recorder on a string around your le- neck? Don't look for it, but it's there. And everything you've ever said uh, was recorded on this tape recorder. Every time you've ever said, I can't believe that guy did that. I can't believe the hate in these people's hearts. I can't believe this, or that's so wrong. So on, on, the, on the end of days, he plays that. Everything that you have said uh, is right or wrong. And then he rolls the tape on your own life. And I can say for sure, for myself, I've done, done or like sincerely wanted to do, and if I was powerful enough and if, if I thought I could get away with it, who knows? Uh, I've done almost everything that I hate. So I think it's good that God is both just and merciful in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, it's good that God is both just so we can be satisfied with justice to the world, and we can be spared ourselves uh, from the wrath of God. And the only, the only way is the cross. That's the only way we get both justice, a God who says, you messed up and it matters. It's not okay. It 100% matters. But you and I get off the hook because of Jesus' sacrifice. Pray with me. God, may you give us a better sense of who you are, glorious and even terrifying injustice, meek and even humble, humble to death in mercy. Let us find the whole you, and in finding you, 
Let us learn to desire you even more. Amen. Okay. Um, as the band comes up,